Amos, in the Old Testament book of Amos. It is the tenth book from the end of the Old Testament. So if you go to find the Old Testament, turn back ten books. If you uh, haven't read the Minor Prophets for a while, Amos chapter seven, and I want to look at a text with you for a little bit tonight. Hope you've had a good day. I'm glad you've come back to be a part of the worship. And that we get to be together again. It's been a good, uh, a good week. It's been a busy week with uh, Vacation Bible School. It went uh, very well. So many people in this room uh, helped with that and made it possible. And we had a ton of uh, kids and I know, families who came to it. And we were a blessing to us. So just pray that God will, God will take the seed that was sown. And as we try to water it, that he'll give the increase and make it grow. So... Uh, that's the, the goal of what we do here at Hoover's, to be a blessing to our community. You know, we talk a lot in church circles about helping people when they're hurting. We need to do that. We probably need to do more than we do, maybe. We need to talk about it more. We need to make sure that we minister to people when they're struggling. And, and that's a natural, kind of a natural thing. I mean, you, you see someone who's hurting, and you want to make sure that that person's cared for, because those are tenuous times. They're difficult times when... People are hurting. You think about people losing their faith, you know, because of their difficulty. People going through health problems or financial problems or marriage problems or whatever. It's a difficult time when tragedy strikes and when difficult times come. So we've got those things. The Bible talks about it. Book of Job is about that. We've done some of that lately, looking at Job a month or so ago and looking at some passages in the Old Testament that, that address this issue. Maybe we don't think, uh, you've probably thought about this before, but maybe we don't think as much about the, the opposite of that. And in, in my experience, it seems that people, I, I, can't, I can't prove this in any kind of scientific way. This is just a, an observation. People are more likely to lose their faith when things are going well for them. You may disagree with that, and that's fine if you do. I don't know that that's true. <laughs> it's just an observation, and and. It, it, I know it's the case that Satan tries to manipulate things. And, and if, if bad things are happening in your life, then he'll whisper in your ear, this is because God doesn't love you, it's because God's not there, uh, God doesn't, doesn't care about what you're going through, and he'll, he'll say things like that. But he operates differently when things are going well. Um, he's not necessarily disappointed when your life is going well because there's a, there's a temptation there to relax and to... And to just kind of coast and you don't have your, your guard up and you get kind of complacent about things. I say that because that's what's going on in the book of Amos. Let me, let me set the stage for you before we look at Amos 7. In fact, I'll, probably, I'll, I'll do more talking about what Amos is about than I will chapter 7. We'll spend just a few minutes on, on the text in Amos 7 and we'll do more of kind of setting the stage and helping you to see what's going on in Amos' day. So let me throw out some numbers here just um, if you're interested in such things. He wrote, prophesied around 750 B.C. All right, so if you remember some of your Old Testament history, you may remember that the kingdom divided after Solomon died, right? Saul, David, Solomon were the first three kings of a united kingdom. And uh, Solomon died somewhere around uh, 935, give or take. So, you know, couple hundred years later almost, about, about 200 years after Solomon is when Amos comes along. So, but when Solomon died, the kingdom, kingdom divided into two, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. And, and they were 
things were not good between the two countries. They were, they were family, but they had divided, and so they didn't like one another a whole lot. In fact, they went to war against each other sometimes. First king of the northern kingdom, this is important. First king is Jeroboam, Jeroboam I. Now, why this matters is you, when you look at Amos 7, you're going to read about you're going to read about a Jeroboam down in verse 10. Not the same one. All right, I'll come to, that, come to that later. But what happened in the northern kingdom was that Jeroboam, he knew he had to do a couple things because you know the answer to this question. In, in Israel, when, Saul, well, when David and Solomon were kings, where did the worship of God center? Um, what, what city, first of all, what city did it center in? It was Jerusalem, right? That was the capital city. And then once Solomon built the temple in the city of Jerusalem, all worship centered around Jerusalem, especially. I mean, they came to the temple for the feasts and holidays and all that. So when the kingdom divided, Jeroboam knew he had to do something if he was going to, because his, his kingdom didn't include Jerusalem. It was north of there. So Jeroboam knew he had to do a couple, had to do a couple of things if because if he had his people going back down to Jerusalem every time a feast day came around, like Passover or Pentecost or whatever, Day of Atonement, if he had his people in the north going down to Jerusalem to the temple, what's going to happen to his kingdom? Now, that's going to cause all sorts of problems, right? They're going to go back to Jerusalem. That's an opportunity for the prophets to get to them, the preachers and people to talk to them. It's an opportunity for them to get in the temple and see the glory and splendor of the, of the house of God and think, man, we shouldn't have left. I need to be... You know, all that. So he did a couple of things. One, he built, he built a couple of shrines. He built one way up north in uh, Dan, and he built one down not too far from Jerusalem, north of Jerusalem, called Bethel. So Dan and Bethel, you got these two cities. He built some shrines. There's some places of worship. And then he did a couple of other changes. They, did, they had the, the Feast of Tabernacles, was one of the annual feasts. He moved it by month. It was supposed to be celebrated on the 15th day of a particular month. He moved it to the 15th day of the next month. He said, you know, it's too far to go to Jerusalem. You don't have to worry about it. Jerusalem's on a mountain. You don't need to climb that mountain. I'll make it easier for you. I'll put one in Bethel. If you're down south, you go there. I'll put one in Dan. If you're up north, you go there. And I'll move it a month so it doesn't conflict with what they're doing down there. And so he says, it's too difficult for you to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to make it easy for you. He changed the priesthood. The, the priests previously had, had descended from Levi. You may remember that. It had to be a descendant of Levi. If you weren't a descendant of Levi, you couldn't be a priest. So he changed the priesthood. He said, that's not that important to be a descendant of, of Levi. So he established his own priesthood. All this stuff happened. Jeroboam did this 185, 200 years before this. Now, I say that because I want, I want you to see what's going on when Amos writes. Now, there are only two writing prophets. You've got seven, 17 books. You've got the last 17 books are prophets of the Old Testament, right? You've got Isaiah to Malachi, 17 books. Five of them really big, 12 of them small. So you've got 17 books. Out of those 17 books, only two of them are written to the northern kingdom as opposed to the southern kingdom. Some of them are written to the kingdom uh, when they're united. No, is that right? No, that's not right. Uh, all the prophets prophesied after the kingdom divided. And so, of those 17 books, you only got two that were written to the northern kingdom, Hosea and Amos. Okay, so two out of these 17 last books are written to the northern kingdom. The last, the other 15 are written to Judah in the south. Okay, does that matter? Yeah, 
Because you can't read this book if you don't know what's going on. You know, you, you, I mean, you read it, but you, you don't really got to know what, what Amos is dealing with. So here's the thing you need to know. One more thing you need to know about what's going on. Jeroboam the first was the first king. He's a bad guy. Changed all this stuff, made it easier, more convenient. Said, you know, the word of God doesn't really matter on this stuff. I'll change it up. Now, 100, I mean, 200 years later, 185 years later, Jeroboam is reigning, but it's Jeroboam the second. He is probably the most successful king of the north. Now, I don't mean godly or faithful. I mean successful in earthly terms. He was very successful military. He reigned for 41 years. They were successful in military ventures. They had done well. But especially it seems that one of the things that kind of goes in the backdrop of this book is they were doing extremely well economically, materially. People were rich in Israel during this time. That hadn't always been true, and it certainly wouldn't be true that much later because 30 years after Amos prophesied what he prophesies in our little book here, 30 years later, God's going to send Assyria, and the nation of Israel will cease to exist because of the things Amos talks about in this book. They didn't stop. So what's the main problem in Israel at this time? They had a lot of money. And you know what having a lot of money did to them? it further entrenched them in this very materialistic kind of, um, not anti-God, they weren't anti-God, they just didn't care. They are just kind of apathetic. That's what was going on in Israel at this time. Now, I want to mention a couple, of other, a couple of other verses here, just to give you a kind of a flavor for the book of Amos. You may already know this, but if not, it'll sound familiar to you when I start reading it to you. Probably the most famous speech, one of the greatest speeches of the 20th century is the one delivered by Martin Luther King on August 28, 1963 from the Lincoln Memorial. In that speech, he says this. This is near the end of, well, right before he gets into the, that climactic part of the speech. But he says, he says this. No, no, we are not satisfied and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. You've probably heard that speech many times and you, you've heard those words. Those, that's a quotation from the book of Amos, chapter 5 and verse 24. Now, I didn't know this. Some of you, you may know this, but that was actually in, in, in King's speech that he had prepared and written for this occasion that was intended to be the climax of the speech. And in the written version of the speech, he had a, another conclusion. And quite honestly, it's, it's, it's kind of flat. The conclusion to the speech, if he had delivered it as it was written, would have been so different. This is the concluding line that he never delivered, but was written down. So he quoted Amos 5.24, and then he says this is his conclusion. And so today, let us go back to our communities as members of the International Association for the Advancement of Creative Dissatisfaction. That's the end of the speech. He never said that line. He got to this line from Amos 5.24. He quoted it. And then his next line, delivered extemporaneously, was this. I say to you today, my friends, so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. You probably remember the succession of lines that came after that particular part of the speech. He went into the... Um, 
I have a dream. You know, I have a dream. I have a dream. Gave it, gave it its title, went down in history as one of the greatest speeches delivered. Now, and, and, and by, I, mean, I think probably had he, had he delivered it as written, it would have been regarded as a great speech, but it no doubt would not have been regarded as the kind of, you know, the way it's regarded today. So anyway, it's just interesting. He, he quoted Amos 5.24, and, and the book of Amos, by the way, was a very important part of civil rights speeches, uh, not only by King, but by, delivered by other people as well, because of its emphasis on some of these themes that are still relevant today, relevant because of certainly things that are going on now, but, but in a general way, just things that we in our prosperity need to be aware of. This is what Amos said. Amos, I'm going to read, you don't have to turn here, but I'm going to read a couple of verses from the book and other chapters. Amos 5, 21 and 22, Jeroboam the first had changed the places where they did their feast days, you know, changed the way they went. He says this, I hate, I despise your feast days, and I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. Amos is a book where he drops the hammer on these folks again and again and again. It's like Amos feels like, man, they need to wake up. They need to, they need to wake up. He wasn't mad at them. In fact, you see in chapter 7 where he says some stuff like, God says, God, God says to Amos, I'm going to do this thing to Israel. I'm going I'm to send the locusts. I am going to... I am going to send the fire. And Amos pleads plead with God, no, please, please don't do that. And God relents and he doesn't do this. So Amos loved them, but he recognizes that they must change or they are going to be punished. Now, listen to this. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 10, God had warned the people. This, is, this goes back a long time, right before they entered the land, a long time before they had kings. Deuteronomy 6, verse 10, he says this. It'll be, he's telling the people, when you go into the land, it will be that when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Basically what God is saying, when you get to the land, things are going to go well for you. And that is the crucial time. When the grapes are producing, when you've got plenty of wine, and the, and the crops are doing well, and you've got peace, and you don't have any threats from your enemies, that is the moment you're going to struggle. He warned them, you know? It reminds you of, maybe of Luke 12, the rich man who said, man, I've got a bumper crop. I don't know what I'm going to do with all these crops that I've got. My barns aren't big enough to hold them. God said to him, he said, I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones, you know. And God said to him, this night your soul will be required of you because, because you're not thinking about what really counts. And so in the book of Amos, we got that again and again and again. Have you ever noticed this, by the way? That the moment you're most susceptible to temptation is... Is, is after some big accomplishment, maybe, maybe a period of stress, uh, a, a time where you're, you know, you're pulling your hair out because you've, you've, you've got this big paper due, you've got this big project at work due, 
You got this intense time. Maybe it lasts for hours. Maybe it lasts for weeks. And then you get through it, maybe like after VBS <laughs> for some of you. Um, you, you get this, this time of stress, this time of pouring, pouring yourself into something. And then you get through it and you take that deep breath on the other side of it. Have you ever noticed that it's at that moment when Satan whispers into your ear and he says, you know what, you deserve this or that. He likes working in those moments where we think everything is, is good and fine and we, we relax, and, and that's when he strikes. I sense that kind of tone with Amos. Here's what was going on. I know I'm not going to talk much about Amos 7. I, I want to point out just a couple things in it, but this is most important for you to hear. I just want you to get the tone of the book, really. Um, this is what was going on. Things, I, I mentioned the material prosperity. And often all these things go along with each other. Sexual immorality rampant throughout society, Amos 2.7. Pride and self-indulgence, Amos 6.8. A religion that was a lot of big show and no substance. God said, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear the melody of your stringed instruments. I don't want to hear the noise of your songs. It's just a bunch of nothing. Just a whole bunch of nothing. You're just making a big show out of your worship. It doesn't mean anything to me. And, and, and mostly, as I mentioned earlier, they had spiritual poverty that expressed itself in material success. And as a, resu a result of that materialism, there was this massive gulf between the rich and the poor. And uh, Amos, Amos said, this is ungodly, and God's not going to put up with it um, throughout the book. I don't know, you can certainly apply this. And I, I, don't, I, think, I really encourage you and me, all of us, to be careful when trying to make like America the fulfillment of this in any sense. Like America is not Israel. So we ought to be careful in taking things God said to Israel and trying to make them apply to our country. There may be a sense in which you can apply this to the kingdoms of the world now, America being one of them. And so there may be warnings here for our own country in times of prosperity. When the military is strong, the, the economy is strong. When sexual immorality is rampant, when there's a big gulf between the rich and the poor, those being consistent with what God said to Israel, those are, those are warning signs that there's probably going to be spiritual relaxation going on. But I think if we're going to make some sort of kind of one-to-one -one correspondence here with Amos and us, it would not be to America, it would be to the church. And it would be that when we're doing well as a church, when we got plenty of money and we got lots of talent and we got lots of stuff going on and maybe the numbers are increasing or things are going well, whatever, that we need to be very careful that we don't become complacent and satisfied with where we are because that is a difficult moment. I mean, it's just a, it's just a source, it's a place where, where Satan really tempts us. All right, look at, look at Amos 7 just for a minute. First part of the chapter, I really want to get one image in your mind. First part of the chapter, he says, I had three visions. First two, basically, God said to Amos, I'm going to destroy the people. That's what both of them were. Amos says, please don't do that, God, and God relents. He doesn't do it. But then the third vision is the one I want you to see. Verse 7, this is what he showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, 
Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with a sword. That's the third vision. And he doesn't give Amos a chance to respond. First two, Amos responds and says, Lord, please don't do it. God said, I won't do it. Third one, he didn't give Amos a chance. He basically says, here's what it is, and this is what's going to be, and you don't even need to respond. So a plumb line, a plumb is this basic, very basic instrument for building, but it's a weight with a point on it usually and a string attached to the top of it, and you would basically hold it by its string, and gravity pulling the weight down, you could see if a wall was plumb, if a wall was straight. And, and that's what he's talking about in this text. He's using that as an illustration of what God is going to do to Israel. And the plumb line, this, this plumb, um, was, I don't think Amos knew this, but it was Amos, really. If you look at the entire book, this was the preaching of Amos. Amos was the plumb line, not because he was a preacher, but because God was speaking through him as a prophet. And so he was the plumb line, and so what God was saying to the people is, you're your, your prophet here, Amos, he's speaking words by which you're going to be judged. So one thought as we think about how this relates to us today um, is just to be careful. Maybe individually, personally for you, when things are good at work, uh, when, when the money is there, when you don't have any really big problems going on, it's just, just be careful. Don't let your guard down. Um, the plumb line for us is the Word of God. That's the plumb line. They had twisted all sorts of things. You know, they had said, well, the Word of God really doesn't matter that much. We'll have our worship in Dan and Bethel, not Jerusalem, not at the temple. We'll do it in our little shrines. Uh, we'll have our feast, not on the 15th day of the month. God said, we'll do it on the 15th day of another month. What's one month difference? What's God going to care about that, you know? doesn't matter. The warning for us is, let's be careful. Let's keep studying the Word of God. Keep emphasizing it in our, in our worship. Keep emphasizing it uh, in your private study. Let it be the plumb line. Let it be, the, it's, it's going to be right. That's, that's what God's Word to them is. Plumb line is right. I mean, you, do, you hold this plumb line, and gravity's going to pull it down. It's going to be straight, and if your wall's not, if your wall's not going up, you know, if your wall's a little bit off, the plumb line's not crooked. It's the wall. Plumb line's going to be right. Word of God's going to be right. God's, God's word is, is, is what we need. It, it's what ought to guide us. And so we got to keep coming back to what God has taught us in Scripture. If you're not a Christian tonight, we, uh, we want to encourage you, listen to, don't listen to us, um, but listen to the word, you know, Listen to us only to the extent that what we say is consistent with what you read in the Bible. And uh, read what it says about Jesus. Read what it says to you about what he wants you to do to respond to him in faith, to give your heart to him, trust him, turn your life to him, and be baptized. He'll wash all your sins away, and you can leave this building tonight in a relationship with God that pleases him. And uh, maybe there's someone here tonight who's been thinking about that. Perhaps you need to come back to him because your life has not been consistent with what you know it ought to be and we we want you to come and be right if there's anything we can do for you spiritually hope you'll come let's stand let's sing the song